we transitioned. I'm Shannon, if you didn't know, I'm one of the pastors here. I am a pastor, okay. Pretty exciting. Um, and we are in the middle of, well, we're actually ending. We're coming to the end of our series called Messy Church. And I have loved it because I need it. I don't know about you, but I needed to remember that this is not a place to be tidy and polished and put together, that this is a place that I can be messy. I mean, I think this is an important series because it probably defies what a lot of us have heard and maybe learned just through whatever culture, circumstance, the types of churches that we maybe experienced that this is maybe teaching us the opposite of that. We're learning that it's a place where rather than hide our mess and polish it, we address the mess. This is the place we come to address what is wrong. And if we can't come here to address it, then where can we go? If we can't come to this place, the only place where you're going to find hope for redemption, where can we go? I've needed this series because for the last 12 years, I have been on a journey, and I've shared a little bit here and there every time I come up to speak because it's so integral in everything about me that I've been unlearning a lot. I've been unlearning a lot of what I learned and thought God and church meant. That has been at the core of everything. God has been healing me for 12 years now. I've been on a journey of healing from childhood trauma, and that's been amazing. And then with that has come revelation. Oh, I thought you were this way, but I see now you're this way. Oh, I thought that this was the place I had to come and hide it and polish myself up, but I'm actually seeing this is the place that I can unravel. This is the place I can let it all come apart. And that is so scary, right? It's so scary to think about letting it all come out because it's not pretty. It's called a mess for a reason. We chose this picture for a reason. It's not pretty. Last week, Pastor Nate told us, and it was an amazing message, and he told us that everyone in church hurts and everyone in church hurts hurts. We come with hurt, and at some point, I'm going to be the one to hurt because we're messy, and I don't like that. I don't want to be the one that makes other people hurt, so it's hard to accept that reality, but it is the truth. Today, we're going to look at what it means to live a lifestyle of repentance. Now, when we hear the word repentance, a lot of things can bubble up to the surface. I know that. When I think of my personal journey with this, I go back to what I first thought repentance was. I grew up in a season of the church, maybe, or the world, or whatever you want to call it, where it was hail, fire, and brimstone. Get saved over and over again. Like, come to the altar just to make sure you're saved. That's really how I kind of grew up thinking. I just, I don't know. I'm a sinner. I better go up just to be sure. That's really what I kind of lived in growing up. So when you hear the word repentance, maybe you think that, yeah, okay, I see where this is going. I thought that God was this righteous judge just ready to pour out wrath, waiting for the minute he could strike with his stick. I don't know. To me, God had a stick. Nobody else? Okay. Okay. 
I thought he had a stick. Like, well, no, it was actually a switch because my mama was southern and she would switch us if we messed up. So God had a switch. That's what he had. I didn't understand grace and I did not understand the love of a good papa. He's become my papa. That's the word I used to describe him. I didn't get that. So I think about that when I think of the word repentance, but then I also think about this story that I'm going to tell you, and it's a little bit funny, but that's okay. So 12 years ago, a little over 12 now, we moved to the church that we spent 10 years at before coming here, where Jesus unraveled my life and let the mess get addressed, and all these amazing things happened. But at the beginning of that journey, I was resistant. I was not here for it, okay? And I went... We'd been at this church for, I feel like it had been like six months maybe, and went to our first women's retreat, my first time to go to a women's retreat. And I'd already been confronted with my past and told, you know, hey, you, you don't walk away from that kind of trauma without needing some healing. So if you want to get some healing, we would love to help you find counseling. And my reaction was, I don't need no help. That was how I reacted. It took a, that, that was like that few, first few months. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I am fine. That was, that was my reaction. And so I go to this women's retreat. Obviously, I wasn't fine. I think you guys know that. Okay. And I'm feeling restless. Like, that's been since we got to this place where God's trying to break something open, and I'm, like, resistant. And I go to the women's retreat, and I don't even remember what the topic, the message, none of that, because that's not what it was about for me. At the end of the service on Saturday night, I just knew I needed to get myself to the altar. <laughs> and for me, that was the back of the room because we were all spread out all over the room. It wasn't just in the front. And I went to the back room and I laid on my face and I began to weep. And this was a big deal because I had not allowed myself to cry for a long time. I had made a vow to myself in my pain that I was not going to cry anymore because it didn't help. And so I found myself unable to control the weeping. And so I'm weeping. And then Jesus speaks to me in pictures, probably because I'm a writer, so it helps. I just see things in pictures. And I get this picture. Okay. Who knows who Captain Jack is? I love the Pirates of the Caribbean, y'all. I thought they were so fun, and I love Captain Jack's character. So, And this was back when it was, they were still kind of newish. They're old now, but they were newish. So I, the Lord shows me this picture, and I can't tell you why he used Captain Jack other than just he wanted me to know that he knows me because Captain Jack didn't have anything to do with what was happening. But he was on the boat. I saw this picture, and it was Captain Jack's pirate ship, and Captain Jack was there. But then I saw myself gripping the helm so tight that my knuckles were white. And I was like, I've got it. I'm in control. And then I just kind of knew that Jesus was right beside me, and I could tell he wasn't angry, he wasn't rolling his eyes, but he was just wondering if I was ready to surrender. He was just wondering if I was ready to let go and give him control. And you know, sometimes when the Lord speaks, he'll like give you a picture and you'll just know what it means because that's how the Holy Spirit works. And it was like I saw this picture so clearly and I heard in my heart the Lord say, are you ready to surrender? And I said, yes. And then instantly what came out of my mouth was a cry of repentance. Because what I realized is that pride had become my sin of choice. 
cried in my woundedness. Yes, I was wounded, and that wasn't my fault that things were done to me. But in my wounding, I chose pride to cover up what was broken. And I said, nope, I'm fine. You leave me alone. And I had to repent. I had to cry out and say, God, I'm so sorry. I had no idea that I had even done that. Will you forgive me and will you help me turn around? And I can tell you there are a few moments in my journey over these years that I can say that's a marker. And I can tell you that that is one of them. Because I went home from that retreat and I called the counselor. And I started a journey that would literally change my life. But it started on the floor with my tears soaking the carpet and me saying, I'm so sorry, God. I want to change. So I think of the two very polar opposites when I think of repentance. I think of the, the judgment and the wrath. But then I also remember this story from my own journey. And I think when we hear the word repentance, we all associate it with our stories. Something in relation to our own stories. Some of you maybe have only known shame because of the religious environment you might have come from that says, get it right, do it right, don't mess up, don't be messy. Some of us, maybe we think of, and this was me too, people who continued to tell us they were sorry, but then go back to their sin. People who said they loved us and said, I'm sorry, I'm never going to do that again. And then they go back. So this conversation around repentance, it can be confusing because we've got our experiences and the things we've been taught. And at best, we want to just resist the whole conversation or maybe twist the truth just enough to make it comfortable. We've even accidentally been taught or taught ourselves to others, when you mess up, what do you do? Say you're sorry. As if that's it. Say you're sorry, and then that fixes everything. So we've got a lot of confusion around this topic. I think that maybe we sometimes just think of repentance as an event, a moment, and then maybe like a get-out-of-jail-free card, like in Monopoly. Is that a card in Monopoly? I think it is. It's been a while since I played. Got your get-out-of-jail-free card. That's what repentance is. It's the card you pull out when you're like, oh, dang, I messed up. And then if you throw in our culture's view, the world is always going to say, live your truth. Do what makes you happy. So then we go, well, why do I need to repent? I'm living my truth. All of this confusion leaves us kind of like not sure what to do. So what does God say and how does he feel and what is his purpose in repentance? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to show you. So it was super cool. Our sermon planning team is amazing and they, we always come together and, and we, we determine together what scriptures will be part of the message. And so I had that already given to me, and then the Lord showed me kind of like a story trail that we can follow today, okay? 
we're going to follow like a little story trail. So like we're going to walk on the trail and stop here, and then we're going to stop here, and we're going to stop here. And it's this beautiful picture being painted from Jesus all the way to Paul to show us actually what is God's heart for repentance. What is it? What is it not? And what are we supposed to do? Now, one of Jesus' most famous stories, and this is the first spot on our story trail, Lots of us have heard this. It's the story of the lost sheep. It's the story that Jesus tells to explain God's heart. Now, I want to set some context up. I'm not going to read the whole parable, but I want to explain the story because it's actually really powerful if you understand the context of the moment and what Jesus is saying and what's being heard by the people listening. So a shepherd, first of all, in ancient times was a very lowly and humble person. Kind of the person that got the job that they couldn't get another job. So they just became a shepherd. Oftentimes it was teenagers. Teenagers would be shepherds. Okay? And then the other thing to know about shepherds is that they live with their sheep. Because y'all sheep are dumb. It's just the truth. It's just the truth. I didn't make it up. Sheep are not brilliant. So the shepherd would live with the sheep because the sheep would come to know the shepherd's voice follow the shepherd's voice. This means the shepherd would smell like sheep. He might have sheep fuzz all over him or her. The shepherd wasn't clean and tidy and put together. The shepherd lived with the sheep. He had a very tender regard for his sheep because he knew they're following my voice. If I leave them, they won't know what to do. So this is the setup when Jesus says, you want to know what God's heart is? I'll explain it to you in the form of this story. God is the shepherd and you are the sheep. And he says, if a shepherd has has 100 sheep and he's counting and you get this mental image, if you've got 100 sheep, you're always counting heads, right? 1, 2, 10, 20, 30, 43, okay, 100. And then you're doing it again five minutes later. And then you're doing it again. You're constantly counting. And he says, if that shepherd is counting his sheep and he gets to 99 and realizes one is missing, what is he going to do? He's going to leave the 99 to go get the one. That makes no sense. Why leave the 99? You're going to risk 99 sheep to go get the one? Jesus says, yes. Because it is not my father's heart that any of the sheep be lost. And this is the way Jesus ends the story he tells. In Luke 15, 7, he says, I tell you that in the same way that this shepherd throws the sheep over his neck and comes back rejoicing, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus uses this story to clear things up. My dad's not angry at you. Heidi said it to us earlier. He's not disappointed that you don't know how to stay in the flock. Get it together, man. Why are you so messy? No, he is the good shepherd. And he says, my father is earnestly seeking the lost. Always the lost one is on his mind. Always his heart 
is seeking the lost one and thinking of how they're stranded on the cliff and they might be bleeding and they're bleeding out for help and there's no one around to help them. That is the heart of the Father. And Jesus says, that is what it means to repent. It means to be brought back into the flock. Is it a flock or a fold? I just realized it might be a fold. Fold of sheep? Flock of sheep? Flock? Either way. Flock of seagulls, fold of sheep, whatever. Okay. You guys know what I mean. It's fine. Now, that's story one. This is Jesus himself saying, let's, set, let's clear the muddy waters so that you'll understand. This is not condemnation. My father seeks that you would become part of his fold. So then... We know the disciples have heard this story, right? They were there. They heard all these stories that Jesus told. They never understood any of them, but they heard them, okay? So we know that. So then we fast forward. We walk a little further down our story trail, and we get to the day of Pentecost, which actually we celebrated last Sunday. If you don't know what that is, in Scripture, in Acts 2, it tells us that the disciples and all the believers had gathered because Jesus when he went back to heaven, he said, you go and you wait. And so they waited, and they waited. Y'all, they waited for over 100 days. It wasn't a little wait. It was a long, awkward, weird wait. Because they were probably like, what's happening? So then, Holy Spirit comes, tongues of fire, cool, crazy things are happening, and they are filled with power and boldness. And I love what happens in Acts 3. So Acts 2, that happens, and then immediately, like not even like a delay, they go out into the streets and begins preaching the gospel. And then we come to Acts 3. Peter, I love this story because I love to see the transition from confused, hot-headed Peter who cuts off soldiers' ears, who denies Jesus, all the things, okay? We see that Peter now. Go out in the street and boldly proclaim the gospel. And the question that we ask here is, okay, first time ever preaching the gospel after Jesus. What do we say? What do we preach? Well, here's what he says. I want to read a snippet of Acts 3 starting in verse 17. My fellow Jews, I realize that neither you nor your leaders realize the grave mistake you've made. But in spite of what you've done, God has fulfilled what he foretold through the prophets long ago about the suffering of his anointed one. And now you must repent and turn back to God so that your sins will be removed and so that times of refreshing will stream from the Lord's presence. The first message preached when the Holy Spirit came and I believe brought clarity. I believe that the Holy Spirit comes and all these disciples go, oh, now we get it. It all comes together now. And they're remembering the stories. And they're remembering the death and the resurrection. And they go, oh, we must repent. Peter uses the Greek word here in the original language, epistrepho which literally means turn back to God. Repentance and return, is, it's not just a passive changing of one's mind. It's not just a choice in our head that we make. It is active.
It's a verb. We take action. Why was this the first thing the disciples preached? Why? Because you cannot walk with God unless repentance is a part of your life. You cannot walk with God unless repentance is at the center of your life. For a lot of us, I think it's fair and safe to say that maybe we've seen repentance as like, God, I'm sorry, please don't be mad at me, I messed up, I'm so sorry, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did, I won't ever do it again. <laughs> I think some of us have seen it that way. And I think that's because we maybe don't understand that, that remorse that comes, because we know remorse when we sin, right? We know a five-year-old feels remorse when they get caught. We know what that feels like, but I don't know that we understand always that that doesn't have to lead us to shame. Remorse doesn't have to lead us to shame. It can lead to repentance. And Paul, so here we go, story trail. We're walking down the road, and now we're at Paul. Y'all, Paul did not have a problem calling out sin, okay? We know that. All the letters of the New Testament, it's pretty much Paul like, get it together, okay? That's what he's saying. That's my interpretation. So he, now, he had to write, so he had to write some letters to the Corinthians, and they were so messed up, he had to write two letters, okay? One letter didn't cut it. So he writes 1 Corinthians, and we're going to see here when we read that, I mean, it's a little intense. I think they're being a little crazy making some big mistakes, and he's like, I got to tell y'all something, and so he does, okay? Well, so then he hears back. He gets word of their response to that first letter, and so then he writes the second letter, and I want to read because I think this is so powerful. In 2 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 8, here's what one of the things that he says to the church here. Even if my letter made you sorrowful, I don't regret sending it. Even though I did feel awful for a moment when I heard how it grieved you. So Paul's like, ooh, maybe I was a little harsh. But now I'm overjoyed. Not because I made you sad, but because your grief led you to a deep repentance. You experienced godly sorrow, and as God intended, it brought about gain for you, not loss. So that no harm has been done by us. Listen, friends, God designed us to feel remorse over sin in order to produce repentance that leads to victory. Remorse is that sense of regret. I have made a mistake. And it is not supposed to lead you down a path of isolation and darkness. It's supposed to lead you to a path of repenting. It's the signal inside of you that you can go, oh, I need to turn back to God. I've made a mistake. And Paul is clear about that. If it doesn't re produce repentance, it's not godly sorrow. It's just, oh, man. Yeah. Or, oh, I wish I hadn't got caught. Right. It's an honest realization that you have grieved the heart of God. And I love it because he tells us what you're doing. He's telling the church here, what you're doing, that leads to victory. Your victory is tied up in this, your repentant heart. 
I love that repentance is defined as turning back to God because it gives us a much different picture than maybe what we've been taught or thought in the past. Where we've seen it as the God slapping us on the wrist for our mistake and us going, sorry, that's not it at all. Repentance is my decision to turn back to God. Because here's the thing, friends, repentance is a way of life. Why is repentance a way of life? Because you aren't perfect. Shocking news for Sunday morning. We are not perfect. We are messy people. We come to Jesus that first time. We realize we have the revelation of the cross that's kind of hidden behind the thing there. We have that revelation, and we say, Jesus, I am a sinner. Forgive me. And what does he do? He cleanses us through his blood. But we don't walk away from that moment and never mess up again. We don't walk away from the moment of salvation and never make a mistake. Here's what we've got to understand, and it's hard to wrap our brains around it because it's not natural. It's supernatural. The blood of Jesus is living and active. It is constantly cleansing. It is not a one-time thing, and that's it, and I never revisit. I can come anytime, day or night. Jesus, Jesus, I have messed up. I have sinned. Forgive me. Help me turn around. And his blood does the work as if it never happened. We're in desperate need of him, friends. Repentance is our reminder that we are in desperate need of Jesus. 1 John 1, 8 and 9, I memorized this in church when I was a little girl, says if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and he will forgive us of our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. I love the way the Passion Translation says it. God is just to forgive our sins because of Christ, and he will continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, the blood of Jesus is central. It is the thing that keeps you close to God. And if you and I don't choose repentance as a way of life, then we're choosing to cast aside the work of Jesus on the cross. We have to recognize our heart's tendency to wander. There's an old <laughs> hymn that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Here's the thing, friends. We don't repent <laughs> Because God needs to hear us say sorry. We don't repent because God is insecure and he needs to know that we're sorry for what we did. We repent because that's what brings us back to the heart of God. Repentance is what brings me closer, back to where I want to be, and then takes me deeper. It's for me, not for him. I brought this chain because 
when I think about sin and what it is, this is what I think of. And when you and me first come to Jesus, before we come to Jesus, this is who we are. You can't control it. You can't help it. You can't do anything about it. This is how we come into the world. Chained by sin. We recognize Jesus. We see him for who he is. We come to his cross and they go. The chains of sin are broken off of our life. But here's the thing. We say, okay, I see. I don't want to live that life. And so we turn this way. And we start following this way because Jesus is going this way. But those chains are shiny. We remember how good some of it felt. It comes with maybe what seems like some power. And so even unintentionally, sometimes we go, oh, oh, that's not so bad. I remember. I liked that. And when do we feel remorse? Oh, dang. I'm trained up again. I didn't even realize I had done it. I didn't even see the enemy's attack. I didn't even realize he snuck in with pride. I didn't realize that I was consumed with lust. I didn't realize that I was beginning to gossip because I don't understand who I am in Jesus. And now I'm chained again. So what do I do? I repent. I say, Jesus, I can't do it without you because look how weak and unfaithful I am. And every single time, he does that. Every single time. Repentance is not a one-time thing, friends. It's an everyday thing. It's a posture of our heart because you can't walk in repentance without humility. And there's no one as humble as Jesus himself. And that humility that we see in him, the way it's produced in us is repentance. It's walking day by day, not in condemnation, not going, I'm probably going to be a sinner today. It's probably going to be bad. Good thing God doesn't mind. That's not it. You are free in Jesus. You don't have to keep returning to the sin that has chained you up. But if you don't humble your heart and recognize your tendency to wander and your tendency to be unfaithful, then you will go back to the chains. And you won't even realize it until you're all chained up. I kind of think of it like this. In our marriage, Alan and I don't ignore the mistakes that we make with each other. We confess them to each other. When we realize one of us has wronged the other, we confess it. And we forgive. And we take steps forward to not make those mistakes. Why? It's so that we can remain intimate and close as a couple. And it's the same with Jesus. Repentance and grace go hand in hand. They go together. You have the grace of Jesus on your life, and so you can come continually and be honest and be messy. And 
he will always restore. Because repentance really is a way of life. So what are the messes that you find yourself making over and over again? Or what are some messes that maybe others are bringing up to you that you know are real? And I know you're sitting here. I know how this works, friends. And your heart's pounding because the Holy Spirit wants to nudge you. If that is you, he wants to nudge you. Not out of condemnation. But he wants you to be free. And so the the conviction, the remorse you feel, the sorrow you feel over your sin, it is not God heaping shame on you. It is God drawing and calling and whispering your name because he sees these chains. And he knows that you can't be free. You can't be free to serve him. You can't even serve others well if you're bound up in chains. There are some steps that we can take. This isn't just an abstract, hypothetical message. There are some actual steps that we can take when we recognize sin and we recognize the need to repent. The first one is we have to confess. We have to confess it to God. Raw, real, don't try to package it well. He's not fooled anyway. Just tell him the truth. (laughs) We have to confess it. We cannot confront what we do not confess. That feels important. I'm going to say it again. We cannot confront what we do not confess. Well, God knows. Don't be deceived, friend. That's the enemy wanting to keep you bound up. Well, he already knows. I don't have to tell him. Yes, you do. You need confession. Not God. You need it. Because that's what draws your heart back. You also cannot do it alone. We must repent individually because my heart is my responsibility. But it is lived out in accountability with others. It is lived out in community with others. And the temptation when we know there's something icky inside of us is to just isolate. Don't let anybody see it. That's the opposite of what Jesus would call you to. When you recognize the brokenness in you, you recognize the sin. When you recognize that you want to be free of that addiction, but you cannot do it by yourself, you can't. You can't do it by yourself. You're not supposed to do it by yourself. You're supposed to get help. And so a step of repentance is you confess and then You seek out accountability and you seek out help when you need it. And then if repentance requires righting a wrong, you do that. If repentance, if you realize in your remorse that the chains you picked up hurt someone else and you see an opportunity and it's possible for you to go and right that wrong, Writing that wrong doesn't mean that they see it. It doesn't even mean that they understand it. But you recognize what you have done. And you repent and say, I am sorry. Forgive me for the wrong that I committed against you. That's not for them or for God. It's for you. So that your heart will get right on the right track. 
God cannot restore what we do not surrender to him. He will not. He is not the mama that comes up and like wipes the dirt off the face because you're like dirty. I've done that. He's not going to come up and force the chains out of your life. He's too gentlemanly for that. And he gave you a free will, and he wants you to choose, and he's never going to take away your choice. He's never going to take away your choice. Here's the great thing. The cross is not our condemnation. It is our freedom. And it is before Jesus and the cross, you had no choice. You had The choice had been taken away from you. You were bound up with no way out. Jesus allows you to choose. You can be free or you can be chained. You get to pick. There's power in that. You get to pick. I'm going to invite my sweet friend Lauren to come up. And as I prepared this, there's there an old song that just kept going through my head. Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes white as snow. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Friends, today's message is a call to repentance, but not just if you're here and you messed up and you're a sinner, then you need to get that sin fixed. This is a call to live a lifestyle of repentance. This is a call to live a lifestyle that recognizes the blood of Jesus is central to everything about me. And I need his cleansing over and over and over. And the moment I think I'm good is the moment I pick up that chain. There is no condemnation in Jesus. But some of you have come today and you sit in condemnation. Because you forget and you're confused or you've been told, how dare you be messy? How dare you be a sinner? And Jesus is standing before you with scars that say, I'm here when you're ready. I'm here when you're ready. So here's what we're going to do. I was trying to think, I'm like, Lord, how do we close it out? Because I grew up in the world where you did like, and then flood the altar and get saved. And I'm like, how do we do this where it's not hyper-emotionalism, but some of you maybe do need to cry some tears of sorrow. Some of you need to sit in a somber understanding of where you're at. You need to feel the weight of that. And some of you have repented and you've turned back to God and you're still walking in condemnation and Jesus wants to set you free. Because he is not condemning you for sins you committed and that you've already come to him and been cleansed of. He forgot about them. He's left them aside. And so I'm going to ask Miss Lauren to lead us in this hymn. You may not know it, and it's fine if you don't. If you do know it, then you're welcome to sing along. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. I know it's a bold move. I get it. I'm going to join you. If you need to come, if that's the step you need to take, I'm not asking the prayer team to come. I'm not asking you to, I'm just asking you to meet Jesus down here at the altar. 
You come and meet Jesus. I promise you there's nothing you can give him that will shock him and turn him away. I'm so I'm 100% confident of that. And so we're going to sing. And if that's you, you come and you kneel and you let Jesus cleanse you of all of it. And then I'm going to come up at the end and close us out in prayer.
there's nothing that can cleanse us. Forgive us for thinking that there are things that can fix us aside from your blood. There's nothing that can fix the brokenness inside of us. There's nothing that can make us pure except your blood. Jesus, Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us for turning us, our hearts away from you. Bring us back, we pray. Bring us back, Jesus. Turn our hearts back to who you are. The world cries out for you, Jesus, and they don't even know. So turn our hearts back so that the blood that washes white will be our anthem. And we will go out into a broken and dying world and we will show them that we know the answer. It is to repent and turn back. I just feel like the Lord is saying that he is wiping condemnation away. what has been in your mind condemnation for sins and he says I have forgiven you walk out of here today without condemnation I hear the Lord say some of you can start a journey now because you've let go and you've surrendered today and he said now we can get something done together now we can step forward because you've given it all to me and that's what I've been waiting for
to talk through her. I'm, I'm the one that will be the one that takes your call, so you can come and sit with me. You can reach out to our pastors. Reach out to someone you consider a mentor in your life and tell them what you just did and let them walk with you so that you don't go back to the chains. You guys are amazing. Thank you for being here today. If you want us to linger, we will stay. But if you feel free to go, the doors are open and you